Welcome to Spelunking with Plato, a podcast devoted to conversations about liberal education hosted by the University of St. Thomas's School of Arts and Sciences. Here, students and faculty are called through the light of faith and the Catholic intellectual tradition to ascend from Plato's cave, bringing others with them to a vision of the good and the life of human flourishing. Well, it's a pleasure to uh, continue the conversation with Professor Jim Claridge. Um, he's a professor in the Department of Physics and Engineering here at the University of St. Thomas and a professor in UST's honors program. He did work um, at Illinois Wesleyan University in physics and mathematics. Um, and then your PhD is from Brandeis. Yes. Um, and, good, uh, good Jewish school there. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great, great place. Um, and, uh, and then postdoctoral post work um, at Rice. Um, You've, I wonder if this is a record. You've taught um, in nine distinct disciplines um, or departments here at the university, um, covering 23 different courses, everything um, from philosophy and theology and physics, chemistry, uh, mathematics. Um, and, uh, and then you've worked, really, your research is in two main areas, in computational physics with a focus on chaos theory, biophysics, and pedagogy, and then another in the history and philosophy of physics. Um, particularly with the attention to the relation of faith and science. Yeah. And you're participating also in our, um, our faculty formation for mission program, yes. um, which is, which is a delight. Um, yeah, and, I'm uh, honored to be able to help with that. Yeah, that's great. And in your spare time, um, when you're not pondering the deep logos or logoi of, of the <laughs> universe, um, you're, uh, um, you are a member and a singer in St. Basil's Scola Cantorum. Uh, which is a chance scola yeah. um, here at the university. So it's a great pleasure to have you. Um, and uh, I, I want to pick up with a, a couple of thoughts. Um, Galileo came up in our previous conversation. Yeah. Um, could you just say about how you as a, as a practicing, as a member of the physics guild, uh, the philosophical <laughs> scientific guild um, today, um, looking back on Galileo, what, what, what kind of things come to mind? That's pretty broad, and it's intentionally so. Um, that's so, fine. Yeah. That's fine. Right. I would say one that comes to mind from my from earliest memories is oh yeah, there was this famous experiment of someone on the Tower of Pisa dropping some balls, and then I don't know why that sticks in anyone's brain because other than I guess it's odd someone standing on a building throwing things off the building, which you get arrested for, I suppose, but. But there was actually a lot in that, whether it happened or not, there's a lot of lot in there. And um, that's sort of a superficial one. I think most people have an image. I might toss it back to, uh, to you. If you. Sure. Just what do you think if someone hears the word Galileo? Maybe, maybe you're not a great case since you're, you're quite liberally educated. <laughs> yeah, I've got a long way to go. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think... Um, I've heard lectures on this, and I, I'm, I'm sensitive yeah, to the, you're too educated the on complexity. That. I just, yeah. But I, I think I think the um, I think the, the the most common idea is that um, once our world was um, covered in darkness, induced by superstition and religious fanaticism, <laughs> and and then one day um, the prophet of science Galileo appeared on the right. scene and began to dispel the darkness. And the forces of darkness, religion and superstition, fought back. And while they may have uh, temporarily set him back, um, um, oh, they, they, that was, and then they crucified him, well, the, or they burned house, him at the stake, yeah, burned, burned or him put him under, stake. or put him, you know, at least put him under house arrest, right? And um, right. and so, um, 
but but science was undaunted and has marched forward and mm -hmm. continues to illuminate our world. And um, and so essentially, religion um, has been on the defensive and on the run ever since. Um, and um, and science is triumphing. And science and mathematics will explain everything ultimately. Right. I'm smiling at myself, imagining if someone's in the car and like out of context, they come in, they come in right when you start and they go, I'm not going to listen to this podcast. I'm not going to listen to this podcast. But I think that's the, that's the kind of the vulgar popular view. I would say that's pretty good. And uh, the, the, I can't let the burning at the stake one go. I teach astronomy here okay. and I, I often do with a very straight face saying we all kind of know the rough story right he was burned at the stake and and about half the students assent nod and nod head, yeah. their head you know yeah 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 so it's it's i kind of try to gauge yeah so that is that is out there um galileo is a it's it's worth every one especially at the at a university studying the the story i think by reading the actual writings primary sources so there's a great, I think it's a good book. Um, Fino Chiaro has written a book, The Essential Galileo, and it's not Fino Chiaro's thoughts on Galileo. There's a brief preface and then it's, he gets out of the way and he's selected the writings throughout the life of Galileo, including trial documents and documents from the church. So they're not all documents written by Galileo. And it, that's nice because then you can sort of read maybe a more newspaper account in a well that's maybe not a great but yeah an account of actual documents and i think what you'll find is if you handed those documents to two different people so let's say someone in the sciences natural sciences we'll say stem right and they read them and then you hand it to someone in uh let's just i mean it's sort of the two cultures here we'll just say the trivium or the quadrivium you hand it to the trivium and they'll they'll read it differently the same material and i think there is a i think there is a schism today and it's not an east west church schism it's a schism of the quadriviumists versus the triviumists and i really think it's a scar left consciously or unconsciously from what's called the galileo affair now if i were a scholar of course a scholar on Galileo in the Times may say, well, that's kind of silly, but but I think it, one, I think has to look for a, a, look for a reason campuses in particular do tend to be broken into camps of why don't people study more philosophy and theology, darn it, that would really ground them. Hmm. And then there's another part of campus and STEM going, thank goodness we don't have them study too much of that because it's superstition. Right. Right. Uh, well, yeah. Now, I haven't even talked about anything Galileo actually did in saying that, but you yeah. know, we can move into that. Well, maybe, and I think you're right. I think there is a there is a division, and I, I wish we we're only that division. But in, you know, I wish it were just simply two camps. But instead, we've got camps within camps. But I think, I think you're I think you're right. I think that's um, some that, camps. Yeah. So and I so one of the one of the things that has come up um, is. And I was a, I was part of a panel a couple of nights ago on um, Heterodox Academy uh, put together a panel on mm. religious institutions and whether you can have academic freedom um, at religious institutions. And of course, the answer is yes, absolutely. And let's 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 talk about that. Um, but I brought up something that you and I had discussed earlier, which is that um, when you're when someone develops like Galileo develops has a new idea, 
um, has a new perspective on things yeah. that are settled. So setting aside that those humanists and that those who are, who are partisans of the trivium, if we're just talking about scientists um, and we're looking at the scientists of Galileo's day, when someone comes in with a new idea, how much credence and what, what are the processes by which we test this and, and how much time does it take? And so, so you know, I, I assume that, that in scientific courses, we don't teach about aromatherapy and crystals at the university, even though there are people out there that, are, yeah. that propose those as, as means of healing or ways of understanding That's things. That's correct, though. They would not be part of the canonical textbook right so you know so the question is at what point at what point under normal circumstances or in today's circumstances would someone like galileo his work be taken seriously by the body of of scientists right is it is it when galileo's work gets cited in two journal articles when there's <laughs> when there's one um conference paper does it depend on the kind of conference because some conference acceptances are looser than others right so yeah, right. what what is it when it when a, a fringe which is where it started when galileo's th theory you know how did how does that enter in because even if it's taken seriously in a, in a laboratory or a graduate seminar it still not may not be taught in an undergraduate introduction course. That's right. Course. So, so maybe you could set the stage a bit about the Gal. I know you're not. You said you're not a, a scholar of the Gal of, of the Galileo affair, but what are the, some of the dynamics in this process? Because you you described to me, he basically yeah. he takes a tube, he points it at the sky, he says he sees certain things. Yeah. I think that's a good example. The tube. <clears throat> so the 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 church and the word the church is used, but I think what people mean is the, the Catholic Church is what they mean, mm. were very upset by his scientific findings. And so the church was shutting him down. The church didn't believe them because if you look at the time, it's not just the church, the church, who was not believing Galileo. I mean, not just the Catholic Church. Luther didn't believe Galileo. Right. So it's the Lutheran church. Okay. So churches in general, but everyone else knew, no. Scientists at the time. Oh, wait, there weren't scientists at the time. What do I mean by that? I read a quote by Galileo talking about the book of nature. If you read Galileo's works and works at the time, the word scientist is not used. The word philosopher or natural philosopher is used. So first of all, you have to pause going, well, what did scientists at the time think? Well, in the sense we mean it, there were. Sure. That, that term. So can we ask what did those at universities let's ask it this way okay fine forget the church what did those at universities who taught you about nature think of galileo's stuff well they would have thought it was preposterous too right all right now why preposterous he's got this tube and it's got two pieces of glass called lenses all right and you take these and you hold this up to the sky and it somehow shows you this image of what jupiter really looks like and what Jupiter really is. Why do you naturally, today we naturalists, the ascent to, well, of course you can trust a telescope. My gosh. Right. But if the telescope is being presented in a sense for the first time as a way to study nature, at the same time that, it, that the discoveries are being made, there's so much going on it would not be natural for anyone to assent, I don't think, even in the, quote, scientific community. Even scholars of nature. Who, I really think, yeah. well, I shouldn't say, I mean, the majority of scholars of nature at the time wanted to know, for instance, how does this thing work? 
And again, if you go, well, the, everyone knows what a telescope was. The word telescope wasn't even around, just to give you some sense. That term mm. did not exist, telescope. What existed was spyglass, which is how you spy on people. Because right. you could kind of, ooh, look, 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 you know. Right. So, I, and it also would have been, well, forget about the university, forget about the church. Surely other people would have, would have realized, yeah, it is superstition to think that Jupiter is somehow eternal and it's a whole different realm from Earth. Surely people just walking around, say a farmer would have, would have said, yeah, you know, he's right. Well, no, that'd be preposterous to a farmer at the time for the following reason. You have to put yourself back there. Pretend you're around in 1610 and you're a farmer. Actually, don't even do that. Pretend you're sitting in your, at your desk right now, George. You're sitting at your desk and I tell you, you know what? Because of my reasoning about the phases of this thing called Venus, and you have to look through my spyglass to understand the phases, and you got to use arguments following my three-dimensional geometric demonstration. If you buy that about the phases of Venus that I'm seeing, then you know the sun is at the center and the Earth goes around it. Oh, yeah, and by the way, if the Earth goes around it, scientists at the time calculated, well, wait, that means we are moving very fast right now on Earth. And you can calculate it. It doesn't take any physics that isn't around. You know, you were going 60, George, you are moving 60,000 miles an hour right now, according mm -hmm. to Galileo. Yeah. That speed being your speed around the sun. Anyone, including anyone today would go, yeah, okay, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> right. So this idea that Galileo shined a light and everyone just jumped on board. Right. It's an ahistorical, I think. Yeah, except for the benighted churchman who put him under house arrest. I, yeah, I think. Yeah, I, I think it's. It, um, if nothing else, the idea that, that there's it's much more complicated than people. It's very realize. complicated. And, now, of course, the arrest thing is a good point. Yeah, and this is where if a person in STEM hears this, right, and they go, "Okay, fine. All that you said. You don't lock someone up in their house, and the, the voices raise the language. You know the." Right. You don't lock someone up in their house just because they came up with an idea different from the church. Blah, blah, blah. A trivium person, and I know I've, I've talked to people in the trivium aspect, have said to me, oh, but come on, it wasn't a house, it was a villa. I mean, it's like a three-story villa that he, that he had as a second house. Right. He's not a poor guy, this Galileo. He's actually fairly wealthy. He's got houses. So yeah, sure, you, if you want to call that house arrest, being that you can't leave your house. Now, a scientist hears this and goes, I don't care how many floors of a mansion you give me, <laughs> exactly. you do not lock yeah. me up. And you can just see this going back and forth. Well, yeah. we're not locking you up. You can go out in your yard. Can yeah. I go to Rome if I have, if I have um, a hernia? No. Yeah. Yeah, and I think we can agree that, I mean, I, the house arrest seems inappropriate, but I, especially from well, today's today standards. Yeah, from today's <laughs> standards. Um, but I think just knowing that sometimes uh, the people's responses, as we talked about, his res people's responses to Galileo is often had to do with the rhetoric he was using. Yes. And uh, yeah, you want to say a bit more about that? I mean, was it? Yeah. Yeah. This is where I, I try to be ob objective on this. And I don't maybe objective is not a great word. I think this is a lesson all of us actually could learn to when you look back at history and you want to judge something, try to really place yourself there right. and not judge it from a 20th, 21st century. So here's what I call naughty Galileo, a great example. He Is this going to continue to be a rated G podcast? Or yeah, right. Well, hold on here. So, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I think we're we, safe. Yeah. 
Galileo, in a sense, couldn't hold back. He he could he could have one could say just presented his findings and said let's let logic judge it. But he had to get his dig in to philosophers and theologians, and to him it meant the Aristotelian philosophers who would answer a question on what Jupiter is by going to uh, Aristotle's uh, on the heavens or right. physics. So here's one on Galileo. This was in a letter that he wrote to the Grand Duchess Christina. Quote, but we clearly see that the philosophers and theologians are deficient in the intellectual intel are deficient in the intelligence necessary first to understand and then to criticize the demonstrations by which the most acute sciences proceed. They are not capable of understanding my extremely delicate observations and subtle demonstrations supported by abstractions whose understanding requires a vivid imagination. <laughs> so who doesn't have the vivid imagination? You know? Right. Now, if you're going, well, this was a person, this is where things go back and forth. Well, that's a personal letter he wrote to the Grand Duchess. Well, he specifically did it because he knew she would copy it and disseminate it. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he was picking a fight, right? He's and, picking and, a fight. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, and I think John Paul II, I haven't read it, I haven't even really thought about it in a long time, but I think John Paul II did write on this affair. Um, yeah. And, and um, I think there's a, there's a document, and uh, it was an anniversary, and he um, talked about the church's role in this and acknowledged where it was right and where it was wrong. And I think it kind of gave a, a, a historical assessment from looking back on it. Because you're right, it does haunt. It haunts not only popular imagination it, it haunts larger and larger institutions and um i believe it is i believe that 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 quote from galileo is used we'll use the term faculty lounge even though i don't think there are is used in faculty lounges in stem i won't name any colleagues but very similar sentiments to it's why are they having him read aristotle my god he, aristotle is just wrong we've we've known this since galileo and they'll even you know, toss right. out this yeah and they'll even say things like, well, it's because they don't, they're not, they've never had enough calculus or they don't know enough math. And it really sounds like they're still trying to pick the fight in a sense. And, and I could probably say a similar thing about the, the triviumists. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a, if I could maybe get contentious, I think their reason that they're upset is it's a jealousy that, you know, all the students do all want to come in to study STEM. Right. They, don't, the they don't actually want to read Aristotle except for the five that'll become, that are really great students that I love. Yeah. I mean, and how many government grants are there? Um, <laughs> That's right. That uh, for, uh, for poetry or for philosophy, you know, often, and then of course there's the infighting between the poets and the philosophers, you know, and, um, and what's the newest, uh, shiniest building on campus? Is it, oh, the, yeah. is it the poetry center? No, no, it's not. It's, no, it's, it's the, the building yeah, for sciences. Center, center for science and health professions. Yeah, and so and and so um, so it has an and, and so it has a, a very large role. But but that those are the things that 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 extend our lives, that heal our diseases, right? Yeah. So it's 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 a complicated <laughs> it's a complicated uh, complicated thing. So it is. Um, yeah, and I don't know. I, I don't know if we sh shed any light on this, but I, I hope we did. Um, <laughs> we maybe we've complicated things, which is what academics do. By, by profession. Um, let's talk about Plato a bit oh, and good. even Descartes, um, if we could. You had mentioned that you, you talked about how that Galileo is seen from different perspectives by the humanists, um, philosophers, and, uh, and then by the, the scientists. 
Um, there are different ways of reading the allegory of Plato's cave um, and also thinking about Descartes' contributions. Do you want to say a bit about, about those two, two thinkers? Yeah. Uh, let me start with, well, we'll start with the cave since we're spelunking in, in Plato's cave. I actually went back and I reread the cave allegory and I encourage my students, I think I assign it in my astronomy course every year. I encourage, because it's only, I mean, roughly two pages, depending on how you delineate the allegory. And when I reread it, I had the same, same moral to the allegory that I had when I was in college and I read it for the first time, which is, how do we get out of the cave? Now, perhaps we need to back up, but for this audience, maybe we don't to back up to what the cave is, but... If you want to provide a thumbnail sketch, feel free. Okay. The sketch I'd give in the modern sense is, what if you had a bunch of, bunch of young people chained to their bedrooms and all they stare out are flickering images on a screen? Okay. That's a, they're a prisoner in a sense to whatever yeah. the screen shows them. This is a very modern version, I guess yeah. I'm giving. They're a prisoner to whatever the screen shows them prisoner in several senses, but one quite literally, they, they don't seem to want to leave the room they're in. They want to, all right. Now in Plato's time, it was a puppet show and there was a fire behind the puppet show and then the puppets cast shadows onto a screen on the cave wall. And why couldn't they just look behind them at what the puppets are? Well, because they're chained to the wall. So how do you get out when you realize, oh my gosh, the chains came off magically and I can see, oh my gosh, the screen I'm looking at is just a shadow, two-dimensional shadow. And uh, it's actually the puppets that are real. And then you stand up and you walk and you go, oh, whoa. And you stand up and you realize it's not actually, the puppets aren't even real. They're being held by these pantomime or people with, holding strings. And then you're oh my gosh, what is real then? And then you see this light behind all that that's brighter than the firelight and you walk out of the cave. All right. So how do you, that's the allegory. How do you then get out of the cave that you are in? And you, I think still applies today. You could be you in front of your screen. You could be you in front of whatever. When I read it, Plato, the cave allegory, after the allegory, he says, it's clear how you get out of it. Uh, Glaucon, I think is who he's conversing with. Clear how you get out of it. First, we're going to have you study number. And then we're gonna have you study geometry and then astronomy and then harmony. So the quadrivium. And so when I read this as a scientist, I go, it's right there. Why are they having us read Aristotle? And I mean, I, I get you going to read Plato for, I'm going to get contentious here. Right. It's clear the first four courses a freshman should take are math courses. Now, why is this? When I read Plato, it's because you first have to know what truth and order are for you to go talking about the ethical truth and the social order. We have it inverted today, totally. We have, everyone thinks they know what the social order should be and what ethical truth is, but right. they have not actually first studied truth or order, which comes according to Plato from mathematics. So when I read this and I think a STEM person, although STEM people don't read it to be honest, but when I read it, oh my gosh, mathematics, that's it. They should be studying STEM. I think if it, now you maybe could tell me differently. It seems the path that's usually taken when I was in philosophy, I remember in school, you read the ancient philosophers 
and you get this cave and this cave allegory blows your mind as a student. Right. And how do you get out of it? Well, we're going to have you read philosophy. We're going to have right. you read then um, Kant and Heidegger, and we're going to have you read uh, all kinds of philosophers, Aristotle, and you know. Well, I thought, uh, hold on, I thought we were supposed to do, all right. So what say you, George? <laughs> I think it's misread in a sense, although I know that's because I'm biased as a quadriviumist. Yeah, no, and I think, it's, I think you're, um, I'm by no means an expert, and I'm still trying to find my way out of the cave um, in many ways. I. I do think you're, I, I mean, the cave is part of the, is part of the Republic and that's a large book. That's right. And, you know, there, and there are, um, this, this ascent out of the cave, it's, it, it's described as being, you're being guided, right? Um, you're being guided mm. out. So there mm -hmm. is a, a sense in which there is a teacher who's guiding you. Um, we often stumble and fall as we're leaving the cave and we're unhappy <laughs> and, and we, we want to go back to the flesh pots to mix the, the images here of Egypt. We want to go back, uh, go back and, and enjoy because we were actually quite good at those, those, uh, those games where we named the shadows on the wall and we won all kinds of interesting prizes. Um, so, but if we're, if we are, you know, if we continue to make our way out, that question of, of, you know, the role of the disciplines, I mean, I'm thinking of Boethius who was no slouch when mm. it came to mathematics, uh, and, but also the trivium, I mean, um, he, you know, he introduced the idea of the quadrivium, the term, you know, and, um, and so, um, and, and put them together, the trivial, trivial arts and the quadrivial yeah, arts. Okay. Um, and the idea was that they were ways, there were VA, right? There were, you know, the, the fourfold way and the threefold way. And he, he thought that you needed to, to do the trivium first, not philosophy per se, but you needed to learn mm. how to think logically, you know, dialectic, you, yeah. need, you needed to be able to, to read Right. And, and so the grammar and the rhetoric and, and those terms are defined in lots of different ways by different authors. What sure. is rhetoric here? What, what do they mean by grammar? But but it's essentially the, the, the arts of the word and thought. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and then from there you go to the quadrivial arts. Um, and uh, and then from there, at that point, at least in the medieval university, then you're prepared to study philosophy and theology. Yeah. And um, and, you know, and law in some places. So there is a progression um, and there's the twofold, is, I'm sorry. Is, well, is Boethius conscious of reordering what I think is pretty clear in the Republic in book seven of the ordering of, because after the quadrivium, I think Plato does move on to dialectic and, and language. Yeah, well, I, I think that there's, um, I think there's- Is he there, conscious I, that he's inverting this or-, or yeah, I don't know that he's. I I don't know. I I, I don't know that um, he's thinking about it in terms of inverting, as he is um, making certain um, things explicit that are implicit in Plato. So yes, dialectic in in that latter higher sense is is later. But there is a sense in which to even read the account of the mathematical arts in the Republic, you've got to be able to read. You've got to be able to follow a basic argument. So there's implied yes. in there some very fundamental skills yeah. um, that I think Plato is assuming you're going to have. And probably, you know, um, so, but, but they're, they're part of a much larger thing. So I think Plato is, I mean, Boethius is making explicit some things that are some steps mm, that are okay, along the way. That would be how you would, yeah. But, uh, but I, I do think you know, what you see is the dual dimension here of, um, of not, uh, inf knowledge, if you will, sort of you're acquiring knowledge, but you're also acquiring certain skills that are necessary. Um, and so, yeah, to get out of the cave, you are learning things as you ascend. Um, out of the cave. And of course, you'll see a great deal once you're out, you know, as shadows first or as reflections. And then ultimately, we hope a, a vision of the good itself. Um, 
but you're also developing skills. It's interesting you mentioned this. I mean, we don't tend to associate Newman um, with the quadrivium, but in the idea of university, he does talk about one. He says one of the most important oh, yeah. things you can establish within the mind of a student is this sense of an orderly form of knowledge, what we would think of as a, a shintia, a science that has firm, established presuppositions, ordered arguments from those, yeah. and firm conclusions. And the, the idea that, and this is, I think goes back to something you said a moment ago, that you want to lay out before the student, this is what we're trying to achieve. And each of the disciplines, to the degree it's appropriate, we want to have a clear, ordered knowledge. Yes. Um, and so, so it all kind of comes together, Plato and Newman and Boethius, it, it can be brought together, but you're right. I think at a lot of universities, this ascent from the cave is so mismanaged. It's not even, it's not, <laughs> even, it's not even attempted, right? It's not even attempted. It's just, you know, here's some courses you have to take and no wonder they hate their, the core courses, right? Because well. they, they, they don't see it. They don't not here at UST, but they don't see the coherence. They don't see the purpose. They don't understand that we're trying to bring them from a kind of darkness of the cave into light. We're right. trying to set them free. None of that comes into play. It's just some boxes you have to check on a form yeah. to get to your major in yeah. the STEM, right? Yeah. I'll yeah. stop preaching. No, no, it's a, it's a good, the, um, I guess for Descartes in here, I realize a, a similar, well, when Descartes, when we read Descartes in the honors program, we read his Discourse on Method. And I've enjoyed this. I teach with uh, Dr. Terry Hall in the philosophy department. So we co-teach it. He and I co-teach it. So we, and Dr. Hall assigns, and I believe our, the books that we get on the discourse, they only have what I would call the introduction to the discourse where he does the cogito ergo sum, right. I think therefore I am, uh, you can't, can't trust my senses. So what like goes through that, all that. And the Dr. Hall, the philosopher, will just analyze bit by bit every little bit of logic of his philosophy for, ah, that part's wrong. He snags there. That proof of God won't work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when I then thought, well, I'm teaching honors. I got to go look at Descartes' discourse on method. I realized, oh my goodness, I actually teach. Oh my goodness. And if you get the discourse on method, meaning the book, it has three other chapters. They're called appendices is what we usually call them. One on geometry, one on optics, and one on meteorology. Where, oh yeah, well, what does he do in those? Well, let's see, he unifies two of the quadrivial arts. He, he unifies, in a sense, number and shape. The way it's phrased right. is geometry and algebra, Cartesian coordinates. Mm -hmm. That's huge. And again, you know, I think it, I'll be I'll be combative here. A trivium person goes, "Well, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you can't build a computer that's recording this podcast unless you are Cartesian, unless you can seamlessly go between number is shape and right. shape is number. How do I know this? Because when you're staring at your when you're listening to this podcast, it's encoded as zeros and ones. We all know that, but if you think about that, that's bizarre, right? We are somehow seamlessly putting shape of a sound through numbers. All right, what am I getting at? Why don't we read the geometry when we read this? I'll bet no philosophy program, I'll just throw it out there. No philosophy program in the country for their, when they're doing discourse on method bothers with, ah, you don't need to do the part where he does geometry, optics, nah, how telescopes, eh. Meteorology, how a rainbow works. No, no, no. We're going to read the first 40 pages where he does cogito ergo sum. Right. 
Yeah, I think I think there might be some great books. So these are what do, I'm getting. Yeah, I the reason right. I interjected. Yeah. These are two different readings of one book that I think the quadrivius versus the triviusts. Hmm. Yeah, they there they don't even read the same thing two different ways. They just read two separate things. Right, right. That's interesting. Well, there's a we, there's a lot more we can talk about this. I, 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 I um, you know, I am reminded. I'm thinking of Tocqueville's um, comments in Democracy in America, where he says that America is the most Cartesian nation. Oh, that's right. In the world, and they don't even know it. They're, they're the most Cartesian in the world, and they've never even read Descartes. Um, so there's there's a sense in which yeah. we've um, we've imbibed you know we've imbibed this. Uh, yeah, there, there's a lot more a lot more there. Um, so yeah, so I think the point there is, uh, it, is it's interesting that these these classic texts, these fundamental texts, you know, um, Galileo, Plato, um, Descartes, they really you really can come from them, come to them from pretty different perspectives and yeah. take away different things. Yeah, and this and, is why I actually wish to play more nicely here. I was trying to be a little bit of Galileo there, you know. Of course, we expect piling as much, on the yeah. the trumas. Mm. At least you didn't call me Simplicius. I, I really appreciate that. <laughs> oh, George Simplicius. That's right. I'll know? call myself Salviati so. <laughs> as long as we're so. Salviati as long as we're um, as long as I do wish. This is a sad thing about STEM. STEM does, and, and, and I just know this from talking to people. I'm not. I'm not even generalizing. I know it sounds harsh, so I apologize to my STEM colleagues who I'm going to encourage to listen to all these podcasts. You need to open up a bit and really reread some philosophy. Reread the Republic, if just book seven, or you know, which has the cave allegory. Right. Really read some Darwin if you're a biologist, and you may go, "Oh, I think, ah, come on, I think we did that, and we moved beyond him because we actually do right. neo-Darwinism, sure. you know, and they didn't know about the genetic code and all this kind of stuff." Yeah. I think this. I really, to my call, I think you could, you could. Scientists could much improve their Cartesian world, their Cartesianness, if they would open themselves to what really are great works that of thought before Galileo and the scientific revolution. Yeah, well, I, th I think you're right, and I, I think I'll um, I'll just close with the idea that what you're describing is is in fact um, the science and math mathematics courses that are in um, going to be part of the renewed core. That's what we're seeking. Yeah. You know, um, someone who's a, an expert in that field, but then also can step outside it and look at it in relation to other disciplines, but, and, but then also historically. And that's going to require, whether it's from reading philosophy or reading other disciplines or reading the history of their discipline, that kind of knowledge is going to be critical. Mm -hmm. Because it's, while it won't be a history of science course per se, you're going to need some of that background in order to pull that off. So um, thank you very much for this conversation, and um, you're welcome. Um, I appreciate your, um, you know, channeling Galileo at, at times. And, um, and uh, again, thanks for for not going being too hard on Simplicius, um, the interlocutor. I appreciate that. Um, but uh, I hope I hope people will uh, will pursue some of these things we've discussed in uh, some of the readings and things. So again, thank you very much. Thank you, George. I really enjoyed this. Anytime. All right. Bye bye.